Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. Today's conversation is with Arlen Hamilton. Arlen is an investor and she's the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. Backstage Capital is a fund that invests in underestimated founders. Arlen also wrote a book called It's About Damn Time. It's also a great read about her story. I met Arlen a few years ago. I did her podcast, A Few Million. I think she's so smart and really knows about investing and talks all things money. And I think there's a lot of great lessons to be learned in here. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Arlen. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hi, Arlen. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I haven't talked to you in a long time. Yeah, since we last talked, I raised $5 million from our audience for operations for Backstage, which was a really cool thing. So like 7,000 people have a stake in my company now. That's incredible. So you do a lot of things. You have a podcast also, and you wrote the book, It's About Damn Time. It's a great book. I recommend it. We want to talk about money and investing and... My audience definitely is young and female, and I wanted to bring you on because you just have so much insight into our financial lives and our entrepreneurial lives. And I really wanted to bring you on to talk to young women about how we should think about these things, what we should be thinking about, how not to be intimidated by the idea of finances or money or investing or how to be smart about things. You know, on social media, we see so much, right? We're enticed to buy things. You have to have the latest everything. And I feel like it's really enticing for young people. Mm -hmm. And no one talks about saving. (laughs) You talk about investing. But I think that the shiny objects in our faces are so enticing. I had Sanjay Gupta on. And one thing he talked about is sort of like the next pandemic and how to be prepared for it. And one of his pieces of advice is to save money. So I just wanted to bring you on because you're so smart about money and investing to talk a little bit about that. I mean, on that topic, there are a few things we can talk about in addition to investing. Yeah, let's go. Tell them what you want them to know, Arlen. (laughs) Well, I want them to know my story and how so much has and can change in a five-year period for someone. And also understand that we have so many of the resources and tools that we need and that we think we're you know, that we're looking to outside sources for. We have a lot of them already. And, you know, to your point about the next pandemic or the next economic downturn or the next thing in your own life, I don't want so many of us to be so taken off guard. And so many of us had the floor just 
removed from our feet in a matter of days in 2020. And I'm on this mission to get us fortified. And it starts with the way we think about money and about income and about impact and all those things. It starts there. And then there are some practical things I think we can certainly discuss. But it it may be helpful to know a little bit about how I went from sleeping on the floor of the San Francisco airport to generating millions of dollars and raising more than $20 million for my investment fund. Let's start with the beginning of Arlen's story. (laughs) Well, if you've never heard anything about Backstage Capital, my fund, or hearing my name for the first time, just know that I grew up with a lot of love in my family in Dallas, Texas, with my mother and my younger brother brother. But we, you know, moved probably half a dozen times, if not more, during my schooling. And and we grew up, you know, in poverty and didn't have much. And until I was 35, I didn't make more than $20,000 in a given year in income. And and actually, a $20,000 a year was a good year. I have some old tax records of like $5,000 years as, you know, a 30-year-old or something to that effect. And now I get paid more than that to do one speech. (laughs) So it's like that type of thing is life-changing. And part of the way I got here is a few years ago, I was peering into Silicon Valley and the startup ecosystem, and I was hearing all these buzzwords. And there really were some celebrities and their managers who were making these small investments into startups. And I always felt like an entrepreneur who just was always broke (laughs) and never took off. And I was so curious about it. And the more I dug in and just did my research and read books and read articles and listened to podcasts and et cetera, the more I realized these are my people. It was like coming out for the second time. (laughs) You know, the first time was at 16-ish and the second time was at 30. But the more that I read about it and learned about it, and I recognized myself in so many of these rich white men, uh, like their hunger for success and their ability to reach for the moon and all of those things, I also didn't see myself reflected in their stories. Their ambition, I could match, but their stories, I couldn't. You know, I didn't know what it was like to have your fallback plan, your hustle was your dad's 14 rich friends building your venture fund. So I learned a few years ago that 90% of venture capital, which is the money that goes to back these startups, goes to white men in the United States. And they make up about a third of the country. So that doesn't match. And when I learned that, of course, as a gay Black woman, I was appalled and I was offended and I was hurt. But then as the entrepreneur that I am, I thought, what an opportunity, because I'm seeing all kinds of companies coming from women, from people of color, from LGBTQ founders, et cetera. I'm broke, but what if I could convince enough people that I know how to talk to the founders and get into these deals? What if? That was a big question. For several years, I set out on this goal and nothing came of it. And then in 2015, I met a woman named Susan Kimberlin, who went on to be my first investor in Backstage Capital. And she gave me enough money to make my first investment and enough money to set up shop. And I haven't looked back. In what was your first investment? Actually, my first investment, I love this question because nobody really asked me that. My first investment was in a company called Kairos that was based in Miami. And already it was different because it was led by a black man who was always confused as like the second fiddle to his white counterpart, even though he was a CEO, co-founder. But they did facial and emotion recognition, you know, AI, all kinds of stuff. And he was having trouble raising and I had been tracking him for like a year 
And I said, I don't care how much it is. I want to just put anything I can behind him because he's so amazing. And so I was able to put $25,000 into his company as someone where, again, you know, $25,000, I had never seen myself in my own bank account. But that was that first investment. And the company's still here. I mean, it's six years later, the company's still around. He's no longer at the company, but he started a venture fund years later. And I was one of his first investors in the venture fund. So a lot of things have happened in between time. But it was those stories like over and over again. I was seeing these people who are like brilliant, but they were not being taken seriously. And they were working on all kinds of things and still are. And how were you finding them, the people that you took an interest in? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think it was an advantage that I wasn't in Silicon Valley, that I was in Texas, that I was sort of curious, you know. So with Kairos, for instance, I saw a YouTube video. You know, you get into the vortex when you start looking at videos. And I was looking up startups and all kinds of technology. And I just came across it probably had like 20 views But it was him talking to someone about how difficult it was for him to raise. You know, the keywords were probably about raising funding. And I just went from that to the website and I looked at the website and I'm like, you know, if this about page had a white man on it, I'm pretty sure it would be funded right now because there's everything else going for it. It has customers, it has the technology, it has engineers, you know, it's functioning and it's probably doing more than a lot of companies that have funding. So that's how I found that one. Multiple times I would just be on someone's website or I'd read an article or I'd see something on social or I'd run into someone. A couple of times I was on a plane and I would listen to other people's conversations (laughs) and I would just, you know, kind of take their information that they were giving out and, and then look them up later. But it was just this curiosity. And the funny thing is so many venture capitalists still today say that they can't find the talent or it doesn't exist but they're just not looking. They're just not looking up. You know, they're looking at their feet. I think I'm no genius here finding these companies. They exist and they existed before me. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So talk about your wins versus your losses, right? We talk a lot about in this space, you can talk about taking L's all day long, right? And what is your ratio? Are you right more than you're wrong? Are you wrong more than you're right? And how do you deal with that when your instinct is not what you thought it was? In general, in venture funding, more than 50% of the deals that you do are going to go under. And that's just kind of across the board, no matter who you are, what you're backing. And I'm more comfortable with losses than I think a lot of my counterparts are because have you ever seen like a rich white guy have a meltdown? (laughs) Yeah, many. Yes. (laughs) 
So I think that comes from not being challenged Mm -hmm. often and not being told no often and not failing often or what their vision of failing is. And, you know, I'm over here at the grocery store peeling grapes off the vine in order to be able to afford them with my food stamps. And so I know what it's like to not get everything you want. So to answer your question, in our portfolio today, after six years of investing, about 10 to 12% of the companies that we've invested in, and we've invested in a lot of companies, have gone under. And some of those have started new companies that we've invested in, and some of them haven't. You know, you mark those down. But it's very healthy, actually, if you think about if the industry standard is like 50% markdown, and we're doing about 12% markdown after six years, that's pretty cool. But there's constantly this learning process of, I'm not going to get this perfect every time. There's no way I can. I mean, I would be a billionaire by now if I could just get everything right and make all the right calls. But it's that willingness to be wrong in public and take risks and also back people who on paper may not be that instant hit that you think, but you know what their potential is. And those have been some outsized wins for us. Yeah, I think enough cannot be said about the benefits of losing once in a while, you know, and mm, everything not mm. going your way. Yeah, You don't learn any lessons when everything goes your way. Certainly, it's what I tell my kids. You can always have the chance to not make a mistake twice, right? Or with investing in entrepreneurial endeavors, it's a little bit different because it's not a mistake necessarily. You took a chance on something that, you know, didn't work out the way it could have or the way you thought it might. Yeah. But the lessons there are so valuable. Now, generally, do you invest the same amount of money in startups each time or do you really base the amount that you're going to invest on the specifics of the company or the startup? The goal is to invest across the board kind of the same, at least in the same fund, you know, the same year. It may evolve over time, which we have. We started with $25,000. Now we can make investments anywhere from 100000 to a million each time. So that's the goal. But because I was building as I was flying, as they say, building the plane as I was flying in it, at the beginning, it was more like all over the place, the amounts. But at least in my opinion, in startups, it's to your benefit to try to invest essentially the same amount, if not a range, a close range into every company, because that's like part of the portfolio construction. You know, because you can't be right every time, you want the ability to be wrong and it not take you under because you put 500,000 of a million dollar fund into one company and 20,000 into several other into 25, you know? Yeah. So the portfolio construction is a big part of the learnings that you have when you start a fund or if you're an angel investor, this doesn't have to be just for fund managers. Something that I come across quite often is that I just can't even believe it happens. But again, we talk about privilege and white male privilege. As people approach me all the time with ideas for startups, whether it's apps or this or that, and, you know, I'll say, you know, sure, send me the deck and, you know, I'll send it over to my business manager. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, we don't have a deck yet. It's just an idea. Mm. And it's just like, you don't have a deck? Oh, you don't need a deck? Oh, so you don't need a deck to just roll up on people and ask for 100K? You have it like that, (laughs) that you don't feel like you even need to show a deck of what the idea is. You didn't have to visualize it. You didn't have to put it on paper. You can just spit your idea 
and people are just going to give you 100K, good for you. I'm not that person. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I really need to see the idea. But that's yeah. something that I really see. People are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have this cool idea. It's going to be an app. It's going to be amazing. And it's this yeah. and this and this. And it's not even whether the idea, the idea might be good. But the privilege that you have that you don't think you need anything, there's so many steps that I've gone through to develop different things. And then when I see these white dudes roll up and they don't have any of that, I would never have the balls to ask anybody for money. <laughs> I mean, I literally have to have a whole book of stuff. This is yeah. what it is. This is what it will look like. This is what yeah. it could be. This is who our market is. This is who our audience is. It's table stakes. Yeah. It's table stakes. And a deck, if anybody doesn't know, is like a presentation. It's a PDF usually or some sort of presentation that tells about the company, about the problem you're solving, the solution, who you are, et cetera. And it doesn't have to be gorgeous. It doesn't have to be expensive. You can go in and do it online yourself. I've done many of those, right? It shows respect and it shows that you put enough time and thought into what you're doing. You know, my brother, my younger brother, he's, you know, late 30s and I still think of him as a teenager, but... He asked me for a loan like a year ago, and he and his fiance came in with a pitch deck for the loan. Good for them. And, you know, he, he got yes, the loan. Yes, good for them. He could have asked me, and I wouldn't have even asked him what it was for, and I would have given it to him. But he said, I'm going to have enough respect for you and your time and your money that I'm going to tell you where it's going and how it's going to come back to you. Right. This is what I'm going to do with the money. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is a business. This is a transaction in most cases. And for some people who don't come into the room ready, you just know that they weren't prepared and they just want to ask for stuff. Right. And having a very well thought out deck is an indication that you understand this won't be easy, mm -hmm. that you understand that there's work to do, that there's work to do just in creating the idea. Mm -hmm. An idea in your head is not enough. You really need to think it through, put it on paper. It's like, um, I mean, I'm trying not to be too out of my element, but I would imagine it's like giving somebody a demo of your music rather than just saying I'm a great singer or handing somebody a reel or sending somebody to a link to a reel. You know, even if it's not professionally done, this is how I am as an actor, not just having somebody trust that. Sure, sure. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. 
get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Do you invest in other things? Do you invest in art? Well, I do personally because so much has changed in my personal circumstances over the past few years. I'm learning really quickly. So I do personally, we don't want to fund. We have some very specific mandates of what we can invest in. It's, you know, mostly tech. But personally, I have beautiful art that I've been looking at and some that I've been able to purchase. I also purchased as an investment and as a something that was just really close to my heart. I purchased an auction at Janet Jackson's 1956 Chevrolet pickup truck. It has a sentimental value to her. I think I saw that on your Instagram. How fun. Yeah. Things like that to me are art and collecting. And but art itself, like I imagine you're a prolific art collector. I'm not really. I have a little bit. I'm very conservative. I was sort of getting into it a lot more before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And then everything shut down. So talk to me about Bitcoin. What do you think about this whole Bitcoin and currency? Yeah, crypto. Yeah, the cryptocurrency and different kinds of cryptocurrency. I mean, I am in no way an expert. It's very just me observing. I believe that it's here to stay. And I think that it's, you know, people have already made a fortune with it. I think that Bitcoin and Ethereum and other coins are still going up and you'll still have people who get in now who still benefit from it. My mother, for instance, has like a crypto wallet. Like she handles mine. Like I don't even know what I'm doing. She's 72 And every day she sends me a snapshot of her portfolio. Yeah. And she got into it a few years ago because I don't know. I think it's interesting because she saw it before I did. And it must be like, you know, everything is full circle. So it must have reminded her of something else that she was like, yeah, I think this might be interesting. Or your entrepreneurial spirit inspired her, possibly. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So she loves gambling. She likes, you know, going to casinos and stuff. And so to her, this is a fun and a game. I think like anything, you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. And so some people, I'm a little afraid that they're seeing everybody else get rich around them with it. And so they're like, if I put all my money in, then I'll be 10 times as rich in a couple of years. And that's just not how it works. You know, that type of return, we've missed that. And that's okay. I think NFTs still have a lot of room and and all these cryptocurrencies do too. I think of it as like eyelash surgery, (laughs) you know, like I'm going to let a lot of other people go through it for a few years and tell me they're okay before I get too deep into it. But I like watching people who are excited about it. Usually it's my colleagues who are in their 30s or younger Or Mark Cuban, who is a business partner of mine. We have a joint venture and he's all on crypto and all on NFTs. And so I just kind of read his tweets and keep up with what he thinks is interesting because he's done quite well for himself. I guess the short version is that I'm okay missing the boat here. Right. You have to be passionate about these things. Yeah. You have to really feel like you're passionate enough to understand it. I listened to an episode of Other Tone, which is Pharrell's podcast, which I love. Shout out to Pharrell. And Mark Cuban was on it. And they were talking to that man who lost his password. Oh. Remember that story about the guy who had like a gazillion dollars in crypto and couldn't remember his password? Oh, my goodness. 
And it was a really interesting episode. If you haven't, you should check it out. It's about his journey to sort of find his password. And he was like, you know, the funny thing is my path has taken such interesting turns because I lost my password. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, it's not even about getting the password anymore. It's like, you know, you get five tries or whatever, and he had already tried three yeah. times. And, yeah. and he was just like, my life is what it is right now. And it's so amazing because I've been able to do all these other cool things because I lost my password and people are so interested in me because of that. Mm, I can believe that. It's a great story. It's a great episode of Other Tone, Pharrell's podcast. I recommend everybody listen to it. It's a good story about loss and how to turn it into something interesting and learn from it. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes sense because I've found, because I've had such stark experiences with money in general, like going from completely broke, not knowing if I'm going to eat on certain days, to just having access to money, if not rich myself, just having access to it, right? And all of the cliches that I heard when I was broke are coming true of like, it's not everything, it doesn't fix everything, more money, more problems, you know, all of that is coming true. And so I can imagine someone being quite free and having just like having that experience rather than the money itself or the riches itself. So, yeah, that's awesome. I feel like one area that I really am passionate about is is real estate, right? I love houses. Mm. It's like my thing. And especially here in Los Angeles, there's so many cool houses with cool history. Yeah. And I changed business managers a few years back. And he said to me, you know, single family houses are not the way to grow wealth. It just is not. Mm. If you're interested in apartment buildings, and I thought, no, God, apartment buildings, that's so boring. You can't decorate them or refinish the floors and change out the windows. And they're all my creative projects. And I think people think when the real estate booms happen and real estate keeps going up and up and up, people are like, oh, you should be flipping houses and you should... It looks like it's really easy to do and it looks like you're going to make all this money, but there's capital gains tax and it's just not as easy as flipping houses and and making money or having income properties. I think people think that single family house is a good way to grow wealth. And I learned a few years back that it's not an effective way that that having investments and dividends off those investments is a maybe more conservative, easier way to grow it slow and steady. Yeah. You know, I think that's the other thing is I think in people's mindset that they want to get rich quick. There is no quick way to grow wealth. Legal. legal. Right. There is no right. (laughs) Right. There is no good point. Good point. Real talk. You want to do things in a slow and steady way. And that may take more patience, but you're probably going to have better results if you're not chasing the highs and the lows, because certainly the stock market and Robin Hood and all of this activity is very much like a casino, right? Like you said, your mom loves casinos and I love a slot machine myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to chase the highs and lows is quite dangerous, you know? It is. And most of your life is an investment, you know, in yourself. And the cool thing is that, and these are all things I've learned in the last five years, right? But once you start making money, if you do it the way that you're describing, which is a steady way, it starts to compound, not just literally compounding interest, but like your ability to attract money, your ability to know a good deal when you see one, your network grows every year. Even if you're not a networker, you can't help but to do that. And so you may not get rich quickly, but you'll get very, very wealthy if you're consistent 
So in my case, think of like the first 35 years as this really strong investment in myself and belief in myself and being consistent throughout. And then something started happening. And where I am today at 40 is very different. But where I'll be at 50 will be astronomically different because of that foundation. And so I much rather have it radiating out this way than to have like this windfall and and it goes away after a few years. So it's, it can seem daunting and you can be impatient and all the things you mentioned, but it can be well worth it. And I'm just living proof of that. Yeah. Taking your time and building something slowly and thoughtfully is harder, but I think the reward is greater. What book are you reading right now? Not reading anything at the moment, but the last book I read, oh, I love it so much. Tell me. I hope you have her on your podcast, Rachel Rogers. We should all be millionaires. She's a friend of mine now. I'm so grateful for that. Like my book is about going from poor to not and all these things. And I I think I did a great job, but man, she just breaks it down. She inspires you, but she also just like, here's how you do it. <laughs> and she just wants every woman to have autonomy, to have agency, and to be able to make moves and not be apologetic about it. And it's just, it's hard for me to see something new and interesting when it comes to things that I'm doing myself. You know, it's because I'm I'm sure everybody can relate to that. It's like, oh yeah, I can do that too. So, you know, I go elsewhere. But for her, she's in my lane and I'm like, we call each other all the time and we're like, okay, what are you working on? What are you working on? Because it's just so good. It's just such a good book. It's great to look at people who are in your same lane and doing things a completely different way than you're doing. And she looks at me too. And, you know, we kind of do that back and forth because she's like, I couldn't do what you do, you know, and I'm like, I couldn't do what you do. And, but we both realize that we can and teaching other people how to is like our passion. That's what it's all about. Teaching the youngsters (laughs) or just being a voice. That's been the most fun thing about this podcast journey for me is being able to use my platform and use everything I've learned and the people that I have access to, Mm -hmm. to educate or just be a resource for young people as somewhere to go to hear conversations and learn things. Because I know when I was coming up, I had to learn so many lessons the hard way, you know. Yeah, And it's also you, you don't often hear like when I was learning about venture capital, I learned from very specific background people. Right. Very specific types of people. They were the rich men who had already done it. And by and large, people who had the largest voices. And so it's also people listening to you, whether they want to be an actor or they want to be in real estate or all these different things. They're hearing it from someone who didn't grow up with a silver spoon and has lived experience of being a woman in this country and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's so important Like we just invested in a company called Assemble, which I didn't even think of this when I just said it out loud, but your coworker (laughs) is one of the (laughs) co-founders. Oh. Um, Jesse Williams. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh Yeah. The whole premise of it is that they're kind of like the masterclass, but with, you know, a lot of voices that are diverse and a lot of imagery that's more diverse because who should be teaching, right? Who should you be learning from across the board? Not just Black people teaching Black people, but everyone learning from Black and brown people. Right. Why does it need to be? The default. Yeah, the default. I couldn't agree more. You know, I have a lot of conversations about these types of things. And funny enough, when you say, you know, what people look like and the representation of people. So I also have a production company and we, you know, try to sell TV shows. I've been trying to sell a show for months about women in the finance world, Mm. right? 
And you can't get anybody to buy this show. Mm. And what everybody says is, oh, women in finance world, that just sounds dry and boring. (laughs) I mean, think about the movie Wall Street, right? It's like one of the best movies of all time. It's got incredible performances. Stakes are super high. Like, movie's amazing, right? And you've got the show Billions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got all these shows with men in finance and men on Wall Street and men that are traders. And that's exciting and sexy. But the minute you put a woman in that space, everybody's view is, oh, that's not sexy. Yeah. You know, it's really the gender bias is incredible. Sounds like it's because the character, like, are they going to be able to behave badly? Are they going to be able to exploit other women, which is what people go to the right. these shows to watch, which is terrible, you know? But I have to say, if women in finance is dry and boring, then it's been dry and boring all the way to the bank for me. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I couldn't disagree more, you know, Uh, but that's funny. I mean, navigating Hollywood, I guess, is so weird, maybe is the word for it. I just think gender bias exists across all lines. In Hollywood, we are more, you know, it's more public. Yeah. You know, I'm sure, obviously, in your world, gender bias is incredible. We just don't have a lens on it. Was there one specific moment where you were sort of reduced down or underestimated? Multiple. One that comes to mind is in 2000 and I think 19. Again, like you say, I had taken myself from the floor of an airport to, you know, investing in more than 100 at that time, more than 100 underrepresented founders had never been done before in this country and not to mention everything else that was to come. And I woke up to a headline in our own little version of Hollywood, which is the tech world. And it had a picture of me and the word, I forgot exactly how it was phrased, but it was like Arlen Hamilton's fund fails or something like that. And it was because I hadn't raised the entire fund yet. And you have to understand that in venture, every single person who is raising a fund, which is 95% men, Every single one of them has to raise the fund. Like they have to raise it from other people. And it's a process. And it's usually one of the most boring, non-newsworthy aspects of what you do. You raise a fund over several months. You kind of set the target and then you bring in commitments and then you do it. It's so behind the scenes stuff. And this journalist put me on blast because, you know, he had reached out to me in a DM and, and said, you know, I heard you haven't raised your fund yet. And I'm like, no, but you ask everybody around me, are you asking guys the same question? And for some reason, you know, it was described by other people and I agree with, there was a gleefulness to the, his writing where he said at one point, when it comes to Arlen's popularity in Silicon Valley, we think that people have put the cart before the horse, you know, and like I was so much hype. and. Not one time did he mention that I had invested in a hundred companies at that point. Not one time did he mention that while he's sitting typing with his little thumbs, you know, I'm out here changing people's lives and our company is doing that. And I just thought it was so biased and I wasn't the only one who thought that. It was biased for a few reasons. And I just said, when was the last time a guy not having closed his fund completely yet was headline news? And on top of that, a lot of the people who had committed to the fund saw the headline and they didn't want to be associated. No. So they pulled their money out. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm still like, anytime I see the guy's name or I see even his publication, I'm triggered. 
it was traumatic, you know? But, you know, I'll tell you what happened right after that, which is really cool. Like the same day, Mark Cuban reached out to me. Nice. He saw the headline and he said, I'll give you a million dollars. You can invest in any way you want. Amazing. And then the next year he gave us five more million. And he's just like, just invest it any way you want. So it is what it is. But yeah, that definitely one that comes to mind. And so there you have it, right? Two things. Haters make the world go round. (laughs) (laughs) And then without that having happened, you may not have been on Mark Cuban's radar. I don't know. Maybe you were. We knew each other, but he wasn't going to invest in a fund for sure because he thought we had it all together. Okay, see. So there you go. Yeah, he thought we had it all figured out. But he was like, be wealthy yourself. We're not going to even listen to that. Like, here. (laughs) Right. That created an opportunity that you were able to double down on and get even more successful. Mark Cuban already knew you, was already aware of you. Yeah. And then that having happened made him believe in you already. Well, he thought you were all set. Yeah. And also, I think he loves the kind of underdog, like, oh, wait a second. They're saying that you failed. Show them. Yeah. You know, I know you didn't. So let's go. And he set out publicly, you know, I asked him publicly on my podcast, why did you invest? And he said, you're in rooms I'll never be in. You see things I'll never see, even as a billionaire, you know, that's like could sum up the whole story (laughs) is like, you know, looking to people who are underrepresented and thinking through like strategy of, you know, who you work with and who you back and who you believe in. It just happens, like, not just me, but a lot of our founders. There's so many stories of, like, women who are pregnant going into meetings with investors and the investors not caring about their company and just saying, like, how are you going to run a company, you know, pregnant? Do they ever ask guys, like, you know, you're about to have a baby. How are you going to run your company? And the truth is that that woman is more likely to be a multitasker and have her stuff together than not because she has a baby or more. Absolutely. I just think women are more inclined to multitask. Yeah. I'm so curious, Ellen. I don't know if it's cool for me to ask the question. Ask me anything, Arlen. You and I go back. Ask me anything. Yeah. How do you navigate the fact that anytime you say anything, somebody can just take it out of context or you don't get to explain the full context of what it was? Because you're not going to be perfect every time. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. But like, how do you even go into an interview confident that, you know, you won't walk out and be scarred by it? You know, I saw something on Instagram yesterday that I loved that said, strength is not having to explain your side of the story. And I loved that so much. And I thought, yeah, I think that the bottom line is I know who I am and I know the truth and I know the story. And so I don't really feel like I need to always explain to myself. And if people want to believe whatever they want to believe, that's their choice. Mm -hmm. They can believe what they want to believe. I'm not going to change people's minds who don't like me. I know my intention. Yeah. I'm so happy that you found this time to spend with me. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad we got to catch up. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely honored to be invited to this. And I, I love that you're doing this podcast. And maybe you'll come on again and talk about the new thing that you're doing with Jesse. Maybe you and Jesse to come on together. That would be fun. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be so cool. Yeah. It's been very cool to work with him. Okay, well, you stay up, Arlen. It was great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Your first million is Arlen's podcast, and it's about damn time is her book. And we love all the wisdom that she is so generous with. Have a great weekend, Arlen. Thank you. You too. 